Red Business, Cork's exclusive business podcast. Now, the next interview is one I've actually wanted to do for about a year since I met my last guest at another event. And it is a remarkable story of a Cork business that's transgenerational and really has been part of everyone's childhood growing up in Cork. Sal Tivy of Perks, how are you? Good morning, I'm fine, how are you? Lovely to have you. And it's fantastic to be here in Perks in Yall, its current incarnation. How long have you been on this particular site, Sal? We've been on the site nearly 20 years now. Uh, We were in China and Beijing for quite some time, a couple of years. And when we came back, we decided we'd go indoors, um, weather, because of the weather and so forth. And uh, here we are with the bowling and laser and kiddie play and everything else that goes with us. It's much the same, but indoors. And a fantastic site as well, and always a great place to call in uh, if you're passing through y'all. But I want to talk about the history of Berks. This is your, what, 90th year? Yes, and I am not 90 myself. I wouldn't have suggested it for a moment. Thank you, thank you. So who who founded it? My father. And his name was Jumbo Perks. That was his nickname. But his real name was William Edward Russell Perks. And um, he actually hailed from uh, Portadown. Um, and his mother and father came from England and they settled there and he, he went on to, to live in Portadown. And he met my mother, who was, whose father was a, a showman. And in those days, there was no such thing as bumpers and so forth. There was just such things as stalls. So his mother, who was left penniless because her husband, my grandfather, died at a very young age and left her and my, my aunt and my uncles penniless. And my father had to play the violin in the silent movies and my grandmother played the piano to make a living to eat. And my father used to say to me, people say I'm starved and they said they haven't the remotest idea what starved means. But anyhow, my grandmother um, came uh, to town came the fun fair at the time and my, my grandfather MacDonald was there and my, they were advertising for a fortune teller. So my grandmother said to um, my, my father, I'm going to go down and get a, you know, for this job. And um, my grandmother was an extremely well-educated woman. And my father said, are you crazy? Like, I mean, what do you know about fortune telling? She said, I'm going to find out. So off she went in her gear <laughs> and she got the job. And you know the usual thing after a, a couple of weeks, in those days, fairs were say three or four weeks in time. There was, no, uh, there was no television, nothing to keep them from, they'd stay in the one place. So um, my my grandmother said to Mr. MacDonald, who later became my grandfather, um, would you ever have a little job for my son? You know the usual number? And he said, yes, shoveling coal to the steam engine to keep the bit of light going. There are few lights around the place. So my father did that and he got that job and then he got another job in the roulette because my grandfather said to him, can you count? He said, of course I can count. So he gave him a job in the roulette and he was extremely good and he met my mother when they were 18 and fell in love and they weren't allowed to marry till they were 24. But once they knew they were getting married when they got engaged, um, my father um, used to make, we were making these carrots, he made a carousel out of wood, carved it. He made various kiddie rides, uh, uh, stalls as well, and they were ready to move out as soon as they got married because they couldn't stand you know the family he, he, he just he was being used I suppose well yeah I mean it sounded like a, a I suppose a, a challenging enough environment for anybody but he had the ambition he had the ability and now he had the wife to go exactly, out and do it on his own exactly. so they went out on their own at 24 they did they went out on their own and the first place they went to was Limerick 
and they had in, the, in those days the steam engine would pull about eight loads behind it you see and they had eight loads of very little but still so they got this indoor uh, site in, in Limerick right in the middle of Limerick and what my father used to do with his steam engine is he used to go out every night about 10 or 11 and he'd wait outside until the following day at lunchtime and he'd come in and the town would see this big load and then he'd do the same the following night for about four days and people were saying my god this must be a massive fair they're coming in all the time so they, they were opening anyhow and uh, all was well and my grandmother my mother went down to um, a company that they used to get um, prizes from and the when she was working for my her father and uh, she said you know I want you know I want a tick as we usually have I want to put it on tick and I'll pay you as soon as this fair is over and he said I'm afraid your father said that if you came I was not to give you any discount or tick or else I'd lose my business so he said I'm sorry so she went back and she said it to daddy and he said uh, what are we going to do her, her nickname was V Violet was her name he said what are we going to do V and she said no problem I'll put my wedding presents up and she did so they of course people came from far and wide for these lovely presents it wasn't just little tiddly things and of course that's what started them off so she was willing to raffle off her wedding yeah, presents exactly. just so that they could get a go. Exactly. And she did, and it was, the word went all around Limerick, did you see the prizes in that fun fair and so forth. So anyhow, they started off from there, and that was their journey. And they did so many different things in their lives, it wasn't true. And they were, were very, very uh, poor at one stage, very, very, they could hardly make ends meet. And they had the most extraordinary people stand, you know, travelling with them. They went to Killarney, and my, this is two or three years later, and my mother had had a little boy George my brother and he was very very ill he was dying and nobody seemed to be able to help her and she heard of this nurse in Killarney and she went to her and she came and she said it's quite simply needs to be circumcised no problem at all so they brought him to a doctor and the nurse said to her I think I'd like to travel with the funfair a nurse so she travelled with us for five or six years it was un- unbelievable and then of course we have somebody called Frankie Forrest who was um, she was a physiotherapist and she was a friend of mine and she ran away with the funfair too so that's it and she was with us 50 years when did you come onto the scene when when did you first realize well my family's a little different here well, I, 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 I was the one that left home first and I went <coughs> off to Elizabeth Arden in London and I trained for two years and then I worked there. And then I came back and I opened a salon in uh, Patrick Street and I was the first of those types of salons, particularly with the waxing for ladies, you know, that was all a new What thing. year was this? We're not putting a year on it at all. <laughs> but it was new. But it was new, yes. Anyway, um, I was doing very well at that and I met Philip through a veteran car of a 1924 Humber, which my father gave to me. And I met him because he had to do a repair job on it for me. And nobody else, in the, they were all repair, you know, all of us in the veteran car club would help each other out. And uh, he wasn't a bit keen in helping me out because he thought I was a bit too wild. I, was, I didn't deserve this helping. So anyway, um, however, we got on very well. <clears throat> he worked in the veteran car and we got to know each other and we got married. And when we were married at the reception over in Monetray Hotel at the time, um, his friends used to call it the prince and the showgirl. So they were so worried about him marrying this lunatic. But however, on we went from there and we've done the most extraordinary things in our lives. From going to, in the winters, we used to go to Hong Kong. 
and operate in front of the um, beautiful uh, opera house. And um, then we went to Beijing with the government, the Chinese government. We work outside Beijing and uh, we were about three miles from Tiananmen Square, so we were right in the centre. So we've had a very exciting life. Can I ask you, uh, for me, growing up, look, as, 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 yeah. as somebody who grew up in Cork, Parks used to come to Monaghan Road right. and uh, used to be fantastic a couple of weeks during the summer uh, and we would go down and we'd have great fun yeah. and it never dawned on me for a minute that you know then it went somewhere else and somewhere yeah. else and somewhere else but you must have spent a huge amount of time on the road. An awful amount of time. We'd close on a Sunday night about 11 or 11.30 and then the pull down would start, you know, the taking the, is apart and so many men would go to each place <clears throat> and Philip had to work physically with each fellow to make sure it came down correctly and loaded onto lorries. Nowadays they have these, uh, we'll say, um, a dodge track and they just press buttons and it all it closes all up. up. Yeah. In those days you lift the plates, you know, the things were drive big heavy things you had to lift them on and um, all this sort of thing was pulled down and put up by hand yeah. <coughs> physically and at any rate um, we'd leave um, the first load my father would come up for he loved driving so he'd come up about six in the morning and he'd take the dodging track we'll see if we were going down to McCrew Mountain Dew Festival from Cork we'll say or if it was down to Killarney or wherever it was um, and sometimes we made unmerciful rounds from Cork to Kilkenny and then he'd go up drop that and then he'd come back and Philip would have more for him Philip and his men now he'd have about at least 15 men and uh, they'd drop again and drop and then he'd, they'd, they'd start immediately to build now the funny thing is Killarney and Kilkenny these were all long hauls and then all of a sudden he started going to China how did Porky Bear Get to China. China. Well, first and foremost, my nephew, that's um, Sam Perks, um, he was in China, he was in Hong Kong rather, and he had two pubs there. And he was very friendly with the managing director of Cathay Pacific Airlines. And he said, I'm having this um, Phantom of the Opera over in the Opera House. He used to bring over shows, you know, that was his hobby. And he had a, a, a business called Lunchbox. And he used to do... I, of course, he was making a lot of money out of it. But anyhow, um, he said, would you know of any fun fair that I put in front here? It's a big, huge um, piazza in the front. So he said, oh, I'll know exactly the one. So he and this guy flew over. And he saw our fun fair and he asked us would we come. So we put it into containers in September. And we were ready for... It was there. It sailed three weeks. And we flew over. And he and Cathy... Pacific, he um, gave us the flights over free. Now, what what was it like to see Perky Bear on the TV on the back of the Cathay Pacific flight? Well, it was a, a bit of a shock, but I was very proud. Mind you, I was very proud. But not alone was it on the back. He put up huge billboards round Hong Kong with this. Naturally, he was trying to sell his new product. That's Pacific, you know. Uh, Cathay Pacific was selling his new idea because this was his newest thing and he was against British Airways who were in competition so this was his new thing on his planes and of course everybody was mad about it this is quite a few years ago now there's something new again but he had it all in billboards all around Hong Kong you'd see Perky Bear and the the television screen and the seat like telling them and in a Cantonese I love playing this or I love watching this Did you ever encounter any confused Cork people over there wondering why Perky Bear was on big screens right around the city? No but a most extraordinary thing happened and that is you know how the Chinese copy everything don't you? 
Well, there was a friend of mine somewhere deep in the heart of China, miles from Beijing, and suddenly in a train she looked out and she saw this perky bear in a signpost and they were selling clothes and they'd copied perky bear. <laughs> the ultimate compliment. But to be honest, e- e- even, even if you could have been making yeah. a few bob off it if it was licensed. Uh, how did you get to Beijing then from Hong Kong? We, first and foremost, um, there were lots of people came to ask us if, if we'd go to, to Beijing, but we were warned if you did, you'd came back and nothing but the clothes you stand up in. You'd be fiddled left, right and centre. That is not saying now, casting discretion on anybody in particular. But anyhow, um, this uh, gentleman came and he was representing the Chinese government called China Resources, which have a big, huge office in Hong Kong. And he said they were building a new site a complete site um, for entertainment in uh, just outside Beijing. Would we be interested in putting in the funfair? But apart from that, would we be interested in this assisting the building of it? And Philip was an engineer, you see, so that was marvellous. So he worked with the Chinese. The Chinese um, architects were super. You know, they were really great. And they actually, there was a Disney built in Hong Kong. You know that, I presume. And they were in the building of that also. So they were in tune with what was happening. So they and Philip did the building of it. And this is how we got in tow. Because the minute they asked this, I said to Philip, this is a great chance, not alone of a living, but very exciting. I'd love the, the difference. I mean, who the hell would have worked in Hong Kong? then up to China. So anyway, um, we went there and it had great difficulties and it had wonderful times. And the first thing was, in this huge complex, they had hotels and restaurants and all that, and they picked the staff and they, the management of the whole place, the directors, and they gave us the staff they weren't using. And these poor misfortunate creatures, they were very young, very young, I mean, 19, 20, 21, 22. And uh, they had very little education, and they weren't used to a lot of hygiene and so forth. And when you worked in the, those days, when you worked for a company, factory or otherwise, in China, the mainland, you got your accommodation, dormitories, I'll say, and your food and then your wages <clears throat> because people used to come teenager men and women used to come from hundreds of miles to work to get work in other parts of china and that's they used to put them up so we had 200 of these misfortunates now they were very sweet but so we had to train them and all first of all in the games and the rides and all that and that took some training with the rides and um Anyhow, we, we trained them in that and then we got them uniforms and they were thrilled and we talked about various doing your hair up and all that. And we had girls from Hong Kong who spoke can- Mandarin. They were Cantonese speaking, but they spoke Mandarin. Two different things. But yes, the written word they can read. It was most extraordinary. And at that, our girls from there with five girls who could speak Mandarin, and they started teaching them to read and write. How big was that Beijing site that you had? Um, 20 acres. And that was big, so how many people could that accommodate on a busy day? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, and you got them. And what you do it did was the fact that you'd go to a factory and you'd say, I, you know, I'd have my translator, would you like to bring your workers for a day and we'll give you a special offer and so forth and so forth. And about 22 or 23 busloads of them would come. You know, it was quite shocking. You got 
quite frightened at the time. I didn't have crowds like that. But they were grand. They were good fun. And um, the one thing we did do that they loved was that we opened a restaurant and we called it MacPurkey's, like we have here. And they hadn't been introduced too much to the burgers because... Um, McDonald's were just coming into Beijing themselves and uh, anyway we did really well a burster on that they loved the idea of having these American burgers yeah, and yeah, chips yeah. so in other words you were able to tap into two different things yeah, yeah the, exactly the, the fantastic journey what, when did you come back here to York? Uh, 20 years ago now and we decided that we did not want to continue travelling. I mean, it's, it's a hard life, Sal. I mean, I can imagine that when you're doing it, you do it because it's your job. But I suppose, is it something you would want to do for the rest of your life? Well, the thing is, that was the rest of my life when I came back from China. But the thing is, um, it's it, I didn't realise as a young girl what unsociable hours meant. Because when you were working with your family in the fund fair, you worked as late as you could to make every bob you it, could. It, it was always unsocial. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you, you got festivals like um, the McCroom Mountain Dew, the Rory Gallagher Festival. And you could be going till three in the morning. And then the next morning you'd be open at 10 again. There wouldn't be too much time for too much else. But you learn, I, I've learned uh, at the time, not so much now, to work on four or five hours sleep. It didn't worry me. And the street carnivals, like you stayed up for two nights and that was it. And two days, of course. But they were wonderful. You know, in front of the Opera House, we were the first of them in Cork with Mr. Joe McHugh, that was the city manager at the time. And um, it's, it, it, you just kind of, it's part of your life. You, and if you, you know, it's so much fun for those who work with you. Like for boys and girls, or particularly fellas, if they get a job at the fun fair, every town they're in a new, a, a new place every 10 days. And they're a new kind of, you know, fella and interesting and the whole town. We, we, we refer to them as opportunities. They're, opportunities. They're, <laughs> yeah. um, by the new time. By the new time. Do you still have the travelling fund fair? No, we don't have the travelling fund fair. That has ceased completely. So it's all um, in-house here, but what you've done with what was an old industrial factory, unit yeah. uh, is you've made an indoor fund fair here that kind of suits all ages, haven't you? It suits all ages. And we went into things like bowling and laser and kiddies play, you know, the play centre. And we've kiddie rides. And we, we've virtually changed our style completely. And we have uh, casinos now too, which help. You know, we've one in Middleton, one in Cove. So all that is a sort of different aspect of what we were before. But it's very interesting and it's new. But the one thing about it is you turn the key at night and you go home. With the fun fair, you were up in case the winds, the rain, any of this sort of thing, the dodge track cover, the bumper track cover, um, people coming onto the grounds late after they'd had a few drinks, three or four in the morning. There was always, the night watchman was always knocking, knocking at the door with troubles. There was always you know, something. something. Whereas always. here you can lock the door. And go what, home. What, when you look back at this, Sal, the life that your mum and dad led, yes. having to put up their wedding presents as the prizes yes. so that they could try and make a few bob yeah. to the trip to the Far East yeah. to the industry and the business you have here now is, has, would you describe this as a privileged life that you've led because of that variety because of the challenges that were thrown at you and, and I suppose the success that you've enjoyed yes I'd say it's more than a privileged life and um you know, even now when I look back, people say to me, oh my God, you went to China. And at the time, you know, you you kind of thought nothing of it. You went to China and you'd have gone anywhere else if that mattered. You know, you're just in show business. You learn very quickly. You're ready to adjust and adapt to what's happening. And like it wasn't all sort of sweetie, sweetie. There was times when it was very, very difficult. But you adapt, you adapt, you adapt. And uh, I suppose the great word is acceptance. 
and you keep at that because you always knew that it would pass to the better time. This is what my father taught me. Sal, this too will pass. If it's just dynamite, it'll pass. And it did, and it does. And, um, but it is a very exciting life. And the one thing about it, I have no idea what it's like to get bored. None whatsoever. <clears throat> Look, long may that be the situation that you have in your life. It is a fantastic space that you have here in y'all. I love coming here with the kids. I love your carousel. That's the thing for me. Carousel, it just stands out. Yeah. This was, of course, you, you. this carousel was actually in Hong Kong and China. Oh, really? It was a, a big piece we'd specially made. Uh, well, <coughs> it, it is holding up better than I have anyway over the years. And uh, you have all the attractions that everyone would want here. Rain, hail or snow. And Perks is always here. Sal, it's a wonderful story and I'm delighted that we have the opportunity to tell it on Red Business. Sal Tivy of Burks, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for coming along this morning. Thank you. The only show in town for Cork Business. Red Business.